This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Great to have you here on The Clark Howard Show. Our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, news on how states are starting to charge you for your driving not at the gas pump. Also, have you been trying to fluff your nest with some new furniture? If so, you may have sticker shock. So, I talked forever ago, I don't even remember how many years ago it was, about an experiment in Oregon where the state was charging people per mile they drove instead of charging gasoline tax. And I can still remember, because I talked about it um, with enthusiasm, how many people were furious with me that it was allowing invasion into the privacy of your life and that your state would know where you were, when you were, how often you were there, blah, 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 blah. And it was something that, that has been around in Oregon more or less for 20 years, but never as a true mainstream thing. But now this is something that states are really talking about, and it's something that is further along out west in addition to Oregon, Utah, and I saw that there are several other states that are really thinking about going to charging you by the mile you drive instead of charging you at the gas pump. And the reason why, anybody know? Anybody know? It's my fault. It's my fault. It's people driving plug-in hybrids or electric vehicles because we then become freeloaders. We are riding on the roads We're causing damage to the roads like every other vehicle, but we're not paying our fair share. So now, I saw a Washington Post item, there are 12 states that are looking to either start charging this way or test charging this way where you pay by the mile. Now, let me tell you what happened in my state. There was a member of the state legislature who hates electric vehicles hates them. So he got through a law where every year when I pay my, uh, what some states is called a plate fee, others a, ta- a tag fee, when I pay my tag fee each year, I pay a computed rate for tax that is three times, it's set to be three times what a gas engine vehicle pays. So that's not exactly equitable. But it settled a score for this particular state legislator charging triple. And it's just because he hates electric vehicles, which is something because 
he's going to be driving one someday. I was going to say, you should offer to give him a ride. (laughs) Let him drive yours. Let him experience it. But anyway, there's going to have to be either a flat fee that we're charged based on the average number of miles somebody drives or charging us per mile with some kind of telematic that monitors how you drive. Because we don't want to be driving on an endless series of potholes. And we need to have our roads maintained, our bridges maintained, as new roads need to be built. They've got to be paid for somehow. And gasoline tax, federal and state, is the ultimate example of a user fee. The more you drive, the more you pay. Now, what's happened in recent years with gas tax, though, is because of hybrids and plug-in hybrids, even people who who have vehicles that can run on gasoline, the fuel economy they're getting is so high that those vehicles are not paying their fair share. Think about somebody who has an SUV that averages 15 miles per gallon versus somebody with a hybrid that's averaging 40 miles a gallon versus someone with a plug-in hybrid that's averaging an equivalent of 80 miles a gallon that you end up with the person in the SUV paying many times the amount of gas tax of somebody in the hybrid or the plug-in hybrid. So we are going to have to make a change because the amount of money being collected at the pump is going to go down, down, down. In fact, sometime soon, I want to talk about the big change happening in the convenience store industry as all the players in the convenience store industry realize that there's not going to be any gallons of gas anybody's going to be buying over time, and they've got to find a new reason to exist, a new reason for being. Okay, Clark. Nathan in Ohio says, I've been working from home since my since July, and recently I found out that remote work will be permanent in my current role. I don't drive every day like I used to when I had to commute. I've had USAA for auto insurance for over five years, and I'm happy with them, but I'm wondering if it would be better financially to look for a pay-by-the-mile auto insurance company. I'm concerned that the trade-off would be quality of service if I ever had to file a claim. Are there any reputable auto insurance companies that offer pay-by-the-mile auto insurance? Pay-by-the-mile is still at what I'd call an experimental stage. There are a few companies that are in a handful of states that from the get-go charge for auto insurance by the mile traveled and the insurance industry responded very poorly through the pandemic with how much money was rebated to insureds as the number of miles traveled by road collapsed last spring and a lot more miles being traveled now but in a case like yours I think it's worth it if you can find an insurer who's charging by the miles. Um, I think one of them is Metro Miles, I think, is one of the ones. And trying to think who else is doing charge by mile, you'll have to see if they're offered in your state. But that would be such a huge difference in premium that as much as I love USAA, it would be worth you driving so little miles, not commuting anymore, to try one of the charge-by-mile auto insurers. 
And also, Clark, there is a briefing on insurance.com about what companies offer that, and Metro Mile was one of them. It's also Mile Auto, Nationwide Smart Miles, and Allstate MileWise, and it lists all the states where it's available. Great. Uh, Scott in Wisconsin says, is there a maximum amount of money that you recommend keeping in a checking account? So in a checking account itself, you tend to earn no interest at all. And I know interest isn't that great these days, but you want to keep in a checking account. If you're someone, the way you ask the question, you have a decent amount of assets, generally three times your typical monthly expenses is what you want to have in there. So you never have to worry about being short of money, bouncing a check or anything like that. And then everything else for someone of means should be in an online savings account with an online bank or with a credit union. Lisa in Colorado says we booked round trip airline tickets and then the weather predicted that our area was getting a major snowstorm. We received an email from the airline stating one leg of the trip has been canceled and we needed to fill out an online form to receive a refund for the one leg. Although we filled it out, my question is, what good is booking round trip tickets if half is canceled and we can only receive half our money back? I think it's a sneaky way for airlines to keep people's money. So, Lisa, in the storm that occurred... The fact that your trip was canceled and they wanted to refund part of the trip, the airline just blew it. Because they failed to deliver the flight, you were entitled to a full refund for the full trip. You know, it's known as an NS leg. If you no-showed for a flight, you forfeit all your money from the trip. They no-showed for you, you are entitled to a full refund of the full cost of your trip They failed to deliver under the contract of carriage, which is what governs the purchase and use of that ticket. This is the airline that, I'll just name them, United, that there were more complaints about during the pandemic than any other airline for mistreating people on refunds required by law. They play hard. They play rough. And because you're in Denver where United remains a dominant carrier they really don't care it's like what are you going to do with your business but it is your money and file a complaint at dot.gov and united will almost certainly behave at that point and give you the full refund you're due Brianna in Georgia says, I'm contacting you for advice regarding my current lease. I want to terminate it early for safety concerns as a gunshot came through my bedroom window a few nights ago while I sat on the bed. (gasps) I've reached out to my landlord. However, they're saying I'm unable to break the lease and that I would have to pay out the remaining balance in order for that to occur. I wanted to know if there are any other options that I may have that I'm unaware of. So what I don't know from what you've said is if you have an individual landlord or if you're in a big apartment complex. If you are in a big apartment complex, this is easy. You get out front and you let the landlord know you're going to do this. You're going to get out front, particularly on a Saturday or a Sunday or both, when people are typically looking for a new place to rent and you hold up a sign Ask me about shots fired here before you rent. The landlord and you stick strictly to the facts of what happened. 
once you are out there and you are sharing your story with people, that landlord is going to say, when would you like to terminate your lease? When would you like out? And they will let you out. The law is not on your side on being able to vacate because of danger in the environment in which you live, unless you can show the landlord has been negligent in providing a safe environment for you, and I don't know how you would prove that. So this is really the law of publicity that is not a law at all, but you get what I mean for you to get out there and protest. If you are renting an individual property, though, from an individual landlord, you're really in a tough spot, and you can only try to negotiate an early termination of the lease. Now, the best thing of all, though, is make sure every TV station in your market knows that you're out in front of the apartment complex with these signs. And the TV crew shows up, let me tell you, you are out of your lease so fast you cannot imagine. Said by a fellow landlord. You know, one of the things with the pandemic is furniture shopping has become unbelievably expensive and unreliable. I have a tip for you from my personal experience coming up next. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're moving and not something we do a lot. We lived in our last house 16 years, this one more than 10, and we're moving on. And we're moving where a lot of what we have doesn't really work, so we're selling the furniture with our house. And so we had to start over at the worst possible time. The furniture business has faced enormous shortages of product. There have been disruptions with shipping over the last year, Uh, There's been a lot of problems in the factories with workers being sick, materials not being available. The lead times on delivery of furniture have stretched many, many months. So what do you do in the Clark world where my head is? We have bought used furniture because used furniture goes for a fraction of new Used furniture, as I talked about recently on the podcast, used furniture has almost no value. In fact, a lot of people, when they move, just leave their furniture at the dumpster. So we didn't do any dumpster diving for furniture. That's my style, not my wife's. But we have been able to furnish our new place 
quite nicely, I guess. I, I have no fashion sense, but anyway, it looks good. And it's beautiful. My my wife wouldn't allow anything in that didn't look nice, and so we've been able to some things we bought right off the floor. There were floor samples. Others we bought a couple items that had some damage that were floor samples and got deals, and then everything else we bought was used. And why not? I know a lot of people are creeped out by that. Uh, my wallet really smiles at that. And furniture depreciates quicker than virtually any other thing we buy. And so I know that. I talk about that. Why not benefit from that? And that's exactly what we've done. And it's something I recommend to you. You know, forgetting what's happened the last year, used is where it's at regardless of the day, month, or year. Okay, Clark, uh, Jim in Illinois says, how do I go about building a 3D printed home in the Chicago area? All right. All right, Jim, you're my man. Because (laughs) the surveys of builders in recent months shows new pessimism on the part of builders. Because in spite of all the demand for housing, the cost of construction has gotten so high that builders are worried about meeting price resistance in the marketplace, meaning that it's costing them so much to build using the archaic building methods that builders continue to use in the United States that the prices they would have to sell a home to make a decent profit, they don't think there's enough people in the marketplace who can afford to pay those prices. So continuing to do what we've been doing in the United States is the definition of insanity, doing the same wrong way of building again and again and expecting a different result. The reality is we're still very early innings on doing housing with 3D printing. But 3D printed houses are built in a tiny fraction of the time, are higher quality, much more energy efficient, and the best part, typically 30% cheaper all in because you've got the land costs it's the same whether you're doing a 3D printed home or not but again we're very early on this Um, and whether it's even permitted by building code where you live in Illinois who knows and so this is uh, a pioneering kind of journey on your part Start looking with Google or whatever search engine you have by doing searches 3D Homes Illinois and see if anybody is doing that where you are. The greatest amount of effort with 3D building is in the state of Texas where in a lot of areas there are no zoning restrictions and you can build. The funny thing about 3D Homes is they can be ultra-personalized in how they're designed and built because they're just computer models that the uh, fabrication units pump those houses out typically in just a few days. And they're solid, solid, solid houses. But they are absolutely where we're headed. It's just going to take a tradition-bound industry a long time to accept it as mainstream. 
Chris in Arkansas says, I recently fi- we recently financed our home with a local credit union. As part of the process, they checked our credit scores. Mine came back at a respectable 819, but my wife's was 823. What could explain her besting my score? We share everything in our very blessed life, but these four points are gnawing at me. Well, I mean, women are smarter than men, right? <laughs> so that gets her four additional points. So you'd have to get both your credit reports that showed the four-point separation, lay them down side by side, and odds are there's something reporting on her report that yours doesn't have or something reporting on yours that hers doesn't have. The four-point difference, though, is statistically insignificant, and I would not worry about anything that takes you into the 800s, which means you both have golden credit scores. Jill in Georgia says, do dealers, finance employees get kickbacks for using certain lenders? I went to a dealership to purchase a used car. When I went to the finance person's office, they'd already received an approval from one lender and denials from at least three lenders. One of the three that he got a denial from was one I'd already had a pre-approval with. The finance person entered the wrong first name for the lenders I was not approved with, but conveniently the one that I was approved for had the correct name. The interest rate was predatory, in my opinion, at 9.4%, especially since I have a 720 credit score. I asked the person to submit my information again to the other lenders with my correct name, and he stated that the finance companies use people's social security numbers. This information was a lie because I received letters from the companies weeks later that they couldn't approve me because they had no credit information with the name that he erroneously entered. I'm refining and got a 4 and. 4.45% rate. The original one, I think you said, was 9.4. Mm-hmm. So you're cutting the rate by more than half. So yes, dealers do uh, tend to push you towards lenders that they're going to make the highest profit margins for. Also, the likelihood is the dealer may have wholesaled that money at maybe 5% or 4% and then marked it up to 9.4. Lenders vary in how much they will allow car dealers to mark up loans. Usually, most lenders only allow a car dealer to mark up two additional interest rate points. But there are other lenders that will allow unlimited or six points or eight points or whatever. So the finance people at dealerships who do not behave ethically will manipulate the process to make you think that the loan they've got for you is the loan you should take, where almost 100% of the time, you're going to do better arranging your own financing. Dawn in Wisconsin says, My insurance agent informed me that as a divorced woman, I'm paying a higher premium than if I weren't divorced. Is this discrimination? Yes, Dawn, you are being discriminated against. And (laughs) this is weird, but somebody just asked me, the other day when I was in a Dollar Tree about this because the opposite happened to them. They got married and their rates went down and they said, why is that? I still drive the same I did as before. And it's just something that insurers do is that in states where it's permitted, they set your rates based on your credit score or your marital status or your educational level. There are any of a number of things that insurers use to discriminate against you that have nothing to do with based on what claims you've had or how you drive. And 
it's a practice that I believe should be banned. The only criteria I believe that should be used for setting your premiums for auto insurance is how you drive. That seems like how it should be to me. Chris in California says, what's better to have in this day and age, a fixed rate credit card with a purchase APR of less than 10% or a variable rate credit card with a purchase APR of less than 10%? Uh, The best of all is to only charge what you can afford to pay. But if I had to pick between the fixed rate or the variable rate, pick the fixed rate because we're going into a rising interest rate environment. And so the fixed rate would be vastly superior to that variable rate. And I want to tell you, I wish I could answer all the questions that come in, but we can't get to all of them. So that's why we have the ability for you Monday to Thursday to talk with a member for free of our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. For info how to reach our volunteers, go to clark.com slash CAC.